Thank you for tuning in to Dialogues with Creators. It is, for me, November 11th, Veterans Day. It's a Saturday, of course, and it's a gloomy and rainy one here in Dalton, Georgia. My dogs are quietly behaving themselves, I think, I hope, for the next hour. And this is episode 41 of all of the podcasts, and it's episode 12 of season four. I actually started this podcast on April 28th, 2022. Our featured interviewee today is me. (laughs) This is a solo podcast. Stay tuned for my thoughts on, well, we'll see where this goes. I promise I will say something controversial that might make someone mad. Where are we in this podcasting business? I labeled this episode Adventures in Podcasting number two or something like that. And I think the first thing I'm going to address, and I always have to address, is the whole reason why I'm doing this, and it's the guests. I go to the RSS uh, website, and I look back over the folks I have interviewed, and I say, wow, I've had some amazing people. KB Valentine, the poet, and I have to say, she was the most popular. Her number of hits or listens, whatever you want to call it, far exceeds anybody else. Because she put it on her website and she is a fabulous poet and people saw that. David Cady, author of Religion of Fear, The True Story of the Church of God of the Union Assembly, which blew me away as, as, a, as a book. I really recommend it. It taught me so much about this region as well as this religious group. I'll just put it that way. I also spoke recently with Ray Atkins. He's the author of Sorrowwood, Camp Redemption, and Front Porch Prophet. He, his books are amazing and funny and sometimes a little profane, uh, but very, very well done and interesting. We spoke with Sarah Lejeune Wood, um, a filmmaker. She did Amazing Gracie, which we screened at our college in September. Another filmmaker that I spoke with was Cleve Nettles, although his professional name is Noah Knox Marshall. He is a prolific filmmaker in California, and he's a leader in the imagination-based studio. And if you haven't listened to that one and you're interested in film, you got to listen to that one. He, he's an old friend, and it was um, amazing. I got the chance to go out and see him in California a few years back. We spoke early with Amber Lanier-Nagel. I think she was the third one. His work appears regularly in Georgia Magazine. You have read Amber Lanier-Nagel's work, even if you don't remember it. Susan Kirkland, who is a co-published person with me in with Colorful Crow Publishers, and Carly Land, who started Colorful Crow Publishing. And I do want to give them a major shout out um, for what they're doing and how Carly is helping writers. And Susan's book, The Disposables, is a very heartfelt book. Another person early on was Ryan Reese. He's a filmmaker and educator in the area, and he and I are working on some projects for bringing uh, awareness of film to this area. This year, I also spoke with Amanda Triplett, who is the founder of the National Podcast Project, an amazing organization, and she's also an educator in Whitfield County. Another Amanda was Amanda Hope Haley, whom I met at a Chattanooga Writers Guild selling thing in April and uh, at the library in Chattanooga. And she is a biblical archaeologist with a master's degree from Harvard in that field. Don't meet very many Harvard folks around here. And she's uh, 
writes about biblical archaeology, and she's also the author of Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow, which she and I talked about that on two instances. And it's it has to do with how people just think they know the Bible and they they they're reading it so much through their own cultural lenses. And in this case, uh, it had to do with her experience of saying in class, even though she was a church person, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And there's no uh, biblical record of that. It's just a tradition or just something we read and have some uh, conclusion about. Also spoke this season with Dr. Sam Baltzer, who is a former conductor of the Rome, Georgia Symphony and a prolific composer and arranger. And he was the second person I got into with music. And uh, that's that was a lot of fun. He was amazing. Early on, I spoke with Renee Winchester, author of Outbound Train and native North Carolinian. And Kate Rudder of Narrative Four, which was an amazing organization that uses storytelling to create a community and uh, deal with conflicts. Uh, I also was privileged to speak to Curtis Hill, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church, and my pastor. And we had a fascinating discussion about creativity in uh, Bible study and in preaching. Another one that some of you may know or see have heard of from outside of this podcast is Ben Van Winkle. He's a lot of fun. He is a cellist and he does interesting things with music <laughs> and um, looping music electronically. And we had a lot of fun. He has uh, some fun things on YouTube. Some people that maybe you don't know quite as well, but also were great guests were Luke Van Jay, who was a professor at Dalton State. Now he's in North Carolina. And he is uh, wrote the book Ginseng Diggers, which if you want to know anything about Appalachia, you need to read that book. It's it's amazing, fabulous. I, I know I'm using these whole words, but I just love that book. I learned so much about Appalachian history and culture. Uh, Jerry Dry, of course, he was my first um, podcast guest, and he's a well-known educator and human humorist. I hope to get him back on to discuss humor and health in the next season. We also spoke with Suzanne Mancy. He's very knowledgeable about children on the autism spectrum. To Kenyon Henry, who originated the Next Chapter Con, uh, yearly conference for writers. Devereaux Shivington Stebbins, a historical fiction author and a member of my writers group. She's a very gifted writer. Becky Woolley, who is also um, a writer friend, and she is a novelist of clerical crime. And she has a very, very uh, interesting sense of humor. Very funny. Then I wanted to mention the one family member that I interviewed, who is Aaron Mortera. He started a music school in Greensboro, North Carolina, for children of immigrants. And he is my son's brother-in-law. And uh, we are expecting uh, a new family member soon. I'll talk about that. And recently, I spoke with Barbara Masoner. I went to her home. She's a lovely lady who had a career in painting for many years. Getting to know her was a special treat. Finally, I can't forget my teaching colleagues at Dalton State College, Marina Smitherman, professor of biology and chair of the um, life sciences department, and also a a well-respected leader in faculty development uh, or instructional development, depends on who you talk to, what you call that. Kim Carell, who right now is in the midst of producing the Red Velvet Cake Wars at Dalton State. She's a theatrical lady. She also has a podcast. Chad Daniel, also in theater. Travis McKee-Vorst, 
who spoke uh, with me with Alicia Brigante, one of his colleagues in the psychology department. And that was a fun talk about uh, where does creativity come from in the brain? Mike Largent, who also teaches at Chattanooga State in graphic arts, and, um, and Brad Wilson, who teaches art appreciation in my department, but he also teaches painting at other places, including the John C. Campbell Folk School. So big super shout out to all these people. But there's one more, Clemencia, who makes this whole thing possible. So what topics have we talked about? Creativity, psychologically, spiritually, and personally. How do you live creatively? How do you use your creativity to address things that you didn't see coming in some cases, dealing with life situations? We talk a lot in higher ed about creative thinking. But, and I mentioned this early on, there's two types of creativity and creative thinking, critical thinking. There's divergent, which means you, you're able to brainstorm and come up with a lot of ideas. And then there's convergent, which is more about how you can apply and use the ideas. And some people have both and some people are more in one area or the other. My real goal in all these podcasts is it's not to become the podcast guru of the world because I definitely haven't achieved that. But to let you know about these people and give them a voice. For example, the Narrative 4 podcast with Kate Rudder. What an astounding organization and what they're doing. And you really need to look into that. The National Podcast Project that Amanda is doing, Amanda Triplett, and she's getting our campus involved in that as well. Kenyon Henry's Next Chapter Con, which he has worked on so hard to have for our area. And because it's a, a con, uh, is, you know, very focused on, you know, uh, things like science fiction and uh, fantasy, you know, what people got dragons. And, you know, me personally, I don't do dragons. Maybe one day I will do dragons. I need to learn the genre much better. But it's a huge field and he's giving people an opportunity to uh, have a platform. And the uh, Bandage Heritage, Heritage Center, when we spoke with Adam Ware, he no longer is affiliated with them, but it, uh, it's a really important organization that everyone in the region should know about. And, of course, um, we want to hear about the art and work of these various folks. If you have noticed, we don't have sponsors or commercials. That's a problem <laughs> in a couple of ways. And so I will be talking about that a little bit more here, but I'm thinking about a GoFundMe, which I'm making a face when I even think about it. Although a GoFundMe page can be very helpful uh, if it, you know, we, we hear bad things about them where someone is, is scamming individuals with stories of sick children and, and that kind of thing. That would, that would not be my purpose here. So what have I learned from podcasting, these adventures in podcasting, that I love doing this? One time when I was younger, I fancied myself as a TV host, but like they used to say, there was an old expression, uh, he has a face for radio. Uh, I am more comfortable with podcasting, with just the oral. And that kind of fits because I have taught oral communication for longer than some of you have been alive. And I've had people ask me if I'm going to do this on YouTube. And you can hear these on YouTube. You just hear them. I would have to have a studio. I would have to get dressed up. My guests would have to be dressed up. They would have to be comfortable with being on YouTube and being in their environment because they would have to have a good background. And so it, this, that's not going to happen anytime soon. 
if I become the guru of podcasting, maybe, but I'm not ready to be Joe Rogan or Mary Beth Stuckey or Ali Beth Stuckey or any or Ben Shapiro or any of these uh, these people. Um, the other thing I've learned, second thing, is that there's no end to fascinating creators in this region. And I've got many people lined up, um, some of them the second time for when we re- reboot this in um, in January, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And so here's the first ask. If you have the name of somebody who would be good for a podcast, they're creative, not as an artist necessarily, and I want that, but there are different ways that we're creative. Uh, please let me know. You can email me at the college address, B Tucker. That's easy. Uh, just B Tucker at daltonstate.edu or through my website, barbaragrahamtucker.com. My email address is a little too long to, uh, or my Gmail, I should say, a little too long to get to just say here. But B Tucker at Dalton State is edu is easy. Um, just like with writing, marketing takes up a lot more time than I want to give it. Uh, as I often say, I'm lousy at marketing. I want to talk to my guests. Not blather on about why you should listen to this podcast, which I've been doing, uh, like I'm doing now. Uh, I've also learned that podcasting is a lot of work. And I only put one out once a week and I take breaks in between seasons of 10 to 12. So uh, in some, some weeks I'll, I might interview four or five people and then space them out when, they, when they're produced. And then other times it might be uh, less frequent. If I interview a writer, I have to read at least one of their books. <laughs> you know, to be truthful. And uh, this was the case with Luke Manjay, David Katie, Ray Atkins, Deborah Shippington Stebbins, which I need to say she writes under the name C.S. Devereaux. And her book was uh, Fall from Snowbird Mountain, which is an excellent, excellent uh, historical drama about the Civil War and Cherokee and uh, some real people. It's, it, you don't want to miss this book. Uh, Becky Woolley's books I've read. Um, one of hers is Murder Intelligently Designed. Susan Kirkland's The Disposables, Renee Winchester's Outbound Train, and Melissa Flake's book on characters in the Bible. After I book a guest, I write a script, then we talk, then it's produced. So it's about three to four hours per on average. And I have this other thing called a job and family. And <laughs> so it does take up a lot of time, but it's worth it. It's my hobby, I guess. Some people sew, some people do arts, and I podcast. And finally, one thing I've learned is that everyone I've interviewed has told me things that changed my worldview, at least a little and usually a lot. And to be honest, I come to the conclusion sometimes, oh, I just can't do this anymore. There's too much going on, uh, you know, the, the expense, the time. And then I have an awesome interview like I did with Barbara Masoner recently. And I say, I got to keep doing this. This is so neat. And maybe in the future, it'll be a little less frequently, maybe every two weeks uh, for a variety of reasons, but it will go on. <laughs> so I just needed to share this uh, information and I want to move on now to the future. And that's going to be the theme moving on. As some of you know, my grandchild, my first grandchild, finally, <laughs> which I'm not supposed to say. Because I only had one child myself, so um, that's kind of a kind of a tacky thing for me to say. Anna, Inez, Tucker, Mortera will be born sometime around New Year's Day, before or after. I hope she comes before, but um, 
we'll see. That is the main thing going on for me right now. We had a shower for her and her mom last week at my house, and she will be a very well-supplied newborn. <laughs> and she will be very blessed and loved by lots of people. She will be bilingual, bicultural. She will be beautiful and smart and capable and rotten and enjoyed. And she will be well-dressed <laughs> and musical, considering her uncle's talent. That's Aaron Mortera, whom I interviewed. So I'm very excited about this. And uh, I have a cup that says, I'm la mejor abuela, la mejor abuela. I say it right there. And which for some of you means the best grandma. And uh, which I don't think is true because her other grandma will be fabulous. And uh, I have a t-shirt and uh, I have bought so much stuff and I need to buy a playpen and, and all these kinds of things. So um, so that's that's the big news for me. Um. She is named after me. Uh, my middle name is Anne, and I told them Anna would be better and her other grandma's middle name. Um, so, okay, in the spring, I will be taking a break from in-class teaching and only teaching online in order to focus on trans- some transitions in our lives, maybe. Uh, my department, some transitions there. The college, we've had a lot of transitions. <laughs> um, good ones, very good ones. And my career. Uh, that's code for I'm moving toward retirement, but not immediately. I've got a lot of things to take care of before then. I will also be publishing my ninth novel, and it's one that I think will blow people away. It's good. It's the best thing I've written, uh, honestly. I finally got it right. The story is of a woman who is somewhat outcast from her small society, not due to her own choices or character, but because of a disfiguring disease. She makes her living by caring for families when the mothers are lying in from childbirth. And this is a a common thing that was done in her time. She lives in the early 1900s in deep, deep Appalachia. And it's the time of World War I, and it's now 1917, October. And anyone who knows history knows what happened then. The same as what happened to us in March of 2020. But in some ways, very different, in some ways, worse, in some ways, um, it didn't last as long, but far more people died. She goes to take care of another family, very poor, and tragedy strikes. Right now, the title is Lying In, and I'll be speaking more about it. Uh, Maybe I'll have somebody interview me about it. It's that old marketing thing, (laughs) which I've got to get over um, and be a little more obnoxious about. On that point, I confess to being uh, lousy. And But I would really like you to purchase Sudden Future for Christmas gifts. It's uh, appropriate for anybody, uh, young adult, not obviously not for children, but uh, it does have a little bit of language in it, but nothing beyond that. Nothing you wouldn't hear, just <laughs> at the Walmart. <laughs> you can buy it from Colorful Crow Publishing, or you can get it off Amazon, or best, get it from me. It's cheaper for me. It always is, and you'll get a signed copy. Uh, I will sell it to you for $15. Yeah, I have a swiper and all that kind of thing. So please buy. <laughs> That's my marketing. Please also visit my website for my blog uh, where I um, post various things, mostly about writing and the arts. And like I said, I am going to start a GoFundMe page for the uh, podcast. I would also love to have an advertiser that I can trust, somebody to underwrite this. I don't really have enough listeners to get paid advertisers from the big guys, and you sort of give up some rights for that. I don't want somebody advertising that I have no control over. I've heard that on some podcasts that might be um, of a um, certain persuasion, and 
like, I don't think they would want that person advertising. Um, the GoFundMe page is for those of you who like what we're doing here and want to help. It is not a plea or an expectation. Um, and that's enough. Now, this is my first GoFundMe uh, project. I tried this to keep open the website for the open resource book that we uh, wrote at the college for public speaking, which, by the way, is yeah, very good and used all over the world. And But we had a website for it, and it came to me to pay for it. And I said, I don't think I want to keep paying for this because uh, you know, it's about $300 a year for a, a website. You know, so I sent out emails to everybody who had used the book or asked me about the book, uh, asked for the, the textbook materials like tests and things. Obviously, I don't make those available to students. And I've gotten enough to keep it going for, well, close to six years. So that's um, because we did it last year and this year, and I'll have enough for four more years. So uh, the GoFundMe is just for costs of producing and hosting, and it's not for profit. And I would stop once we got to enough to cover the cost for the foreseeable future. I also want to have a shout out to two entities. The first one is my writer's group that meets in Fort Oglethorpe. These people can write, I'm telling you. And they can give really good critiques. I respect them so much. I'm a huge fan of writer's groups, although I realize they're not for everyone. Uh, and when I say that, it's not because I don't think people's writing should be critiqued. I think it's, it's um, they're especially good for people who are getting started, but who are serious. If you're not serious, don't join a writer's group because you'll just be a drag on it. I'm sorry, that's ugly, but it's a truth. Um, once someone becomes big time as a publisher, you know, maybe they don't need a writer's group, but I think they still need people to, to help them and mentor them. But the relationships that I have with these folks are more important. I would welcome new people into the group, but we've gotten to the point where we are just too big as it is. Every two weeks, we have to critique uh, over 100 pages of um, each other's work. And um, that's, that's a lot. In the, um, so probably five or six people is a better size. And we're, we're at like 10 to 12 right now. I recently wrote a very <laughs> Twilight Zone-y um, two-part short story that uh, they gave me excellent input on. And my fiction can sometimes be a little weird and dark. So not not uh, profane, just weird and dark. This was about a woman who um, lived in a, a society like our own uh, where um, the government gives everyone um, a, a pill to commit suicide if they so choose. Um, freely so you know no pressure but if you just feel like it it can easily be done and so she takes one and that's the aftermath of that um the second group i want to uh shout out to is toastmasters international i finally finished my first pathway in toastmaster after three years uh which is what they call their curriculum but you can come to toastmaster and not do curriculum it's good for professional development uh, you can document uh, that you did the professional work, and that's what the pathways are for. It's not really to like a degree or anything. You can come just for the skills and the friendship. Our group is uh, in Dalton. It's called Lingo Masters. And we meet the second Monday at Dalton State College at 530. And the last Saturday of the month at First Baptist Dalton at 1015. And for more info, you can... Um, you can email me again at the same place or uh, even better talk to Jerry Dry. He's the president right now. So transition time. Even as I talk about these things, I do so in a spirit of hope. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 
So abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But as you know, the greatest of these is love. Still, faith and hope abide just like love does. The Song of Solomon says that uh, love is stronger than death. But faith and hope abide as well. So hope is what I want to focus on here as I close. I'm going to get a little uh, didactic here. I don't think in our theology or in our everyday lives we talk about the true meaning of hope enough. Hope for a a Christian believer is not a maybe wishing stance, but a full-throated, strong, steadfast look at the future that will be good eternally despite the immediate reality. Hope is what keeps us going. Hope gets us out of bed in the morning. Hope is why we have children. Hope makes us human and humane to each other. Without hope, the future is irrelevant, and therefore so is the present. And therefore, so is everyone else. Why be civil, kind, humane if there is no hope? I read and listen to a lot of programs and and books on the current state of society in the U.S., sociological literature kinds of things. And it seems to me that lack of hope, the right kind of hope, is at the core of our problems. There's much to feel hopeless about right now. Since October 7th, if we refuse to recognize what is going on in the Middle East, we have our heads in the sand. We're just big, fat ostriches. We look around at small things in our life. Gas is cheap right now. And I can get what I need at the supermarket. And I've got my own issues. That's all I need to worry about. How quickly that could change. It's saying nothing of how the media has portrayed the sides in this conflict and perpetuated lies and stereotypes. You can tell from that statement which side my own feelings are on. Although the suffering of children is never to be dismissed. And I hope, and I mean that in the true sense, that these pauses will allow children and innocents to be freed from possible destruction. But I'll stop there. Uh, And then I look at our two choices for the president. Both are elderly men who are more concerned with their egos than their country. Ooh. Even though one of them is generally probably more moral than the other, In both cases, they should step aside for the good of the country and give up control so that a younger and healthier person can take leadership. In a time without hope, we retreat to whatever we can get that gives us immediate comfort and soothes our anxiety, rather than resorting to real people, real situations. I teach in one of my upper division classes about intercultural communication and consequently, the individualism versus collectivist dichotomy. United Statesians, that's not really an English word, but it's a Spanish word, Estado Unidenses, uh, that I have borrowed, are the most individualistic country in the world. Uh, that's any chart, any research you look at is going to say that. We would say that it is what makes us who we are as a great country. I can't argue totally with that. But I believe we have fetishized individualism. I believe what built us will destroy us if we let it. If we don't return to the understanding our forefathers had, and I don't mean the people in 1700 with the quill pens, I mean the people 100 years ago, I mean our grandparents, um, that our forefathers had that we are a nation, a society, a community, and not little worlds unto our little selves. Because it's gone too far and past the tipping point. I am faced, just like you, with narcissistic behavior every day. We have sort of symbolized that in the Karen character. I feel sorry for people named Karen. That seems to say, I don't need you. 
Or you. Or you. I just need my streaming service and my phone and my social media, TikTok, and my enough money to meet my needs. And so don't expect commitment from me. Don't expect me to follow my. I could go on. The sociological and psychological data on loneliness, atomization, and despair is staring us in the face. Suicide, anxiety rates, etc. This is what makes my hope lapse. The only thing that returns it is the promise. Romans 15.4 For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And Paul follows that in Romans 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I said I was going to say some controversial things, so I um, don't know how you responded to that. But we are facing the holidays. This will be the last podcast for probably six or more weeks. You and I both have fun things to do. And I appreciate everyone who listens and who has told me that they enjoy this podcast. I enjoy it immensely. I, I appreciate everybody who listens because you don't have to. They're bazillions of podcasts out there that you can listen to so have a wonderful holiday season live in hope because that is what christmas is about and speak with you again through this podcast sometime in january thank you bye-bye